Welcome to episode five of season three of the Connect the Dots podcast. I'm so happy that you're here with me. My name is Heather and I am your host. For those of you who may not be watching or perhaps those of you that are visually impaired, I wanted to start today by giving you just a a little description. Uh, If you haven't seen my picture, if you don't know what I look like, I thought that would be kind of helpful, Uh, but I am a white woman. I have short strawberry blonde hair and I am wearing red glasses. I am wearing a gray t-shirt that says be a goldfish, which is a quote from Ted Lasso. Uh, My background is a teal wall with a white dot and line pattern, as well as several uh, pieces of art. Uh, So paintings and drawings, uh, those types of things. Uh, Before I get into the topic today, though, I do want to take a moment to thank Dixie. Dixie bought me three cups of coffee via the buy me a coffee link. Uh, She did that for my birthday last week. It was such a fun surprise uh, to open up my email and see that come in. So thank you so much, Dixie. I really, really, really appreciate it. Uh, My heart is so, so full. Um, I have gone on so I I went on the the buy me a coffee page and they have like a bunch of different things on there on the like my side of things and um they have where you can set like a goal and so I have set a goal on buy me a coffee and my goal is to reach five hundred dollars if I reach five hundred dollars I'm going to donate fifty percent of that so two hundred and fifty dollars to a local charity And I will use the remainder of that to purchase a new microphone. Um, And then if I don't spend $250 on a microphone, if I really don't want to, I will, whatever is left, I will donate that as well to the charity. So I have a goal of $500. Um, I don't have a, like a set date, but just, just know if you go to the buy me a coffee link um, that's in the show notes and you donate there, you buy me a coffee, that money Um, part of that money will go to a local charity. So, all right. Speaking of coffee, it is time to do the live coffee chat because you all helped me hit my goal from the Anchor sponsorship. So currently at the time of this recording, I have $9.96 in my sponsorship bucket. And uh, so I'm going to go get a coffee and I'm going to do a live Q&A on Instagram. My plan is to do that on the morning of May 30th. I told myself to double check that date. I'm pretty sure it's May 30th. Let me know. Yeah, May 30th. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) So May 30th, uh, which is Memorial Day here in the U.S. Um, I'm going to try to go around 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I will put a reminder countdown on my Instagram stories so that you can like be reminded to tune in. I will also put up a question box there in case you can't make it uh, so you can submit questions beforehand. I am really, again, when we first set that goal, when I first got the email from Anchor and they were like, hey, we'd like to sponsor you. Uh, let's let's put in, let's do an ad. When I did that, my whole goal was to earn like $7 to buy a cup of coffee. We have exceeded that goal. So I'm ecstatic. I, I think I'm going to bump up and get a, get a latte. 
my favorite latte is the hazelnut and honey latte. Um, yes. If you've never had a hazelnut and honey latte, I highly recommend it. They are fantastic. Um, so, but I just, I thank you all so much. Every single listen, it means so much to me because you've helped me meet this goal and you're continuing to help me earn, um, just a little bit from, from that sponsorship. So I appreciate it very, very, very much. Um, okay. Let's get to the podcast because we have a lot to talk about today. Um, it's the fourth week of the month, which means it is time to cover a topic on navigating the workplace. And today I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into a topic that was brought up on episode 74 of the 100 Days of Podcast. When I was on that episode, I talked about burnout and I made the comment in that episode that I was turning, I like that I turned in my badge of burnout, right? Because so many people make burnout a badge of honor. And so I, I've turned that badge in, right? And it got me thinking about what are some of the other badges that we carry in regards to the workplace and which ones do we need to turn in? So I'm going to talk about three badges I feel like we need to turn in today. Uh, and those are going to be burnout, perfectionism, and workaholism. That's a hard word to say. <laughs> workaholism. Is that? Y'all know what I mean being a workaholic. <laughs> we're going to start that we're going to start with burnout. And so let's start with a definition because I like to like to start with definitions. Uh, this one comes from webmd.com. Uh, and that is burnout is a form of exhaustion caused by constantly feeling swamped. It's a result of excessive and prolonged emotional, physical, and mental stress. Excessive and prolonged emotional, physical, and mental stress. In many cases, burnout is related to one's job. Burnout happens when you're overwhelmed, emotionally drained, and unable to keep up with life's uh, incessant demands. The condition isn't medically diagnosed, but burnout can affect your physical and mental health if you don't acknowledge or treat it. Uh, Burnout keeps you from being productive. It reduces your energy, making you feel hopeless, cynical, and resentful. The effects of burnout can help you. Ooh, nope. Can I help you? The effects of burnout can hurt your home, work, and social life. Long-term burnout can make you more vulnerable to colds and flus. So it can take down your immune system. Um, so, so that's the whole like definition kind of intro from webmd.com and at my last job. So when I think about it in terms of this definition, especially that second sentence, the, it's a result of excessive and prolonged emotional, physical, and mental stress at my last job, this accurately describes what I was going through. I was so overwhelmed with the task and the things to do that I, I couldn't, I couldn't even get reset over a vacation. Uh, I was always connected, always on, always had something. And now I agree. Some of that was my own doing. I am a high achiever. I want to give my all to my job, but I was giving my all to a team of advisors 
plus three other big projects. And I was giving more than I had to give. I was, I was just done. I was so stressed out emotionally, physically, and, and mentally. And, and so when things, you know, started to happen, like the ability to move up, only being available to those who could move on site, it made all that hard work, like feel null and void. Uh, I listened back to episode uh, 74 earlier today. And I talked a lot in that episode uh, about the dangling carrot. Um, and I talked about this. I taught some training classes this week. And we were talking about performance and I talked about the carrot. I said, you know, don't dangle a carrot in front of your team that they can't achieve. Um, I said, if you dangle a carrot, make sure it's a good carrot, right? Make sure it's a goal that they can reach uh, or it's a, it's a goal that makes sense for them to reach for because you can't you can't always guarantee a promotion or anything, but that's when it becomes a bad carrot. When you're dangling a carrot in front of somebody that it's like, you want to, you want to do these things so you can get promoted and knowing all the, all the time that, well, yeah, that'd be great if I could get promoted, but they're not promoting anybody at home. They're only promoting on site or the, you know, you, you know that there's probably not going to be those opportunities coming up. Like, so there's a difference when you're a leader dangling a good carrot and a bad carrot, and you have to understand which is which. Um, so a good carrot is an attainable goal, uh, for that individual. A bad carrot is one that is not. (laughs) It's probably loud. And I apologize. I just hit my mic. Sorry. Um, let me not go down that rabbit hole. Speaking of carrots. Um, okay. Um, but all the brand building that I had done for myself, um, you know, to get my name out there so that I could move into uh, a project manager or a area manager spot, it really felt like it was for nothing um, at, at my last job. And I was just exhausted. I was really exhausted. And that's what prompted me to, to start looking for something else, uh, something else where I could reset my plate, so to speak. I had often dreamed of, uh, when I was at Apple, I had often thought about, man, maybe I'll just lateral move to another department. That way it just, my plate will be reset automatically because then I won't have any projects in that, in that organization. I can just, man, if I could just reset that plate, make it be empty again. Um, that would be amazing. But I knew even if I did that, like I wouldn't be happy. It wasn't just the fact that I had so much on my plate. It was, it was also the fact of the places that I wanted to go, the, the carrots I wanted to achieve weren't achievable for me because I wasn't willing to move on site. So finding my new role, uh, I, I went in knowing that I had to be better about setting my own boundaries. Um, I had to be better about speaking up for myself and making sure that my manager was on the same page as me. And I, I think that, you know, that has been, it's been such a a good 
lesson. It's been such a good experience for me so far um, because I did, I did bring that up very early in the relationship with my new manager. I brought up the fact that my like previously um, managers that I had worked with, I had said, Hey, my plate is full trying to set that boundary. And then two weeks later, they volunteered me for something. And, you know, in the effort to, to build my brand or to, you know, get my name out there kind of thing. And it, which made it very hard for me to say no to, because again, I was trying to, I was chasing that carrot of promotion of wanting to, to go, to do, to do more and to, and to excel. Um, but I, I told my new manager this. And so we have had very candid conversations um, since about where is my plate? Where is the load? Can I take this on? Can I take that on? And I really did make a promise to myself to focus on the harmony between work and life uh, and not to try to find a perfect balance because you, you can't have a perfect balance. And I, and I talked about this um, in, in work-life harmony um, when I've talked about that concept of it's not a, um, it, when we think balance, right? I think a scale or like specifically, I think the scales of justice <laughs> for some reason, that's what I see in my head when I think work-life balance, it's the scales of justice sitting there, you know, she's holding them and like, where are we, you know, where are we at? Um, but that balance with work and life, sorry, I keep hitting my microphone. So my apologies if it makes noise. Um, I speak with my hands. If you're watching on video, you know this, so my apologies. Um, but, um, like I, when I, when I think about work-life balance, right, if it's that scale, if it's, if it's Lady Justice there holding up her, her scales, you know, work and life can't be equal. If work and life are equal, then you're spending a lot of time a lot more time at work than is probably necessary. Uh, but you're also losing a lot of time for life, for family, for friends, for, for yourself um, to, to kind of reset. So I love that idea of harmony and I will give, I, I will hundred percent give Amazon credit for that concept um, that's a concept that I I heard when I joined Amazon was that work-life harmony and I, I do think of it as like an ebb and flow right it's like the it's like the waves on the beach there are moments of high tide and there are moments of low tide um, where you know things there's lots of things going on in high tide and then when low tide comes it, it's it's more calm and and you have more space and then you have storms that come up that, that take the water out of, you know, the water, you know, goes, goes higher than expected. Um, and doesn't necessarily follow the, the high tide, low tide feel, um, as normal, but you know, that storm will pass and things will even back out. And for example, like these last two weeks at work, they have really been overwhelming, um, with the amount of things to do, uh, two weeks ago, I spent four days or like 24 hours over the course of four days, uh, doing a, a practicum for a certification that I'm getting, 
Um, and that was also the week that I had to make our all hands video. So I was compiling videos from, from all across our organization, like putting them together. Um, so it was a very, very busy week. And then last week it was my birthday. So I took off on my birthday cause we went to Disney world and then the day after Disney, I flew to Austin. I uh, trained for um, four sessions uh, for another group at work and then flew home on Friday. It was just a constant, just constantly moving and doing something. But I knew, like I knew, like this is high tide. This is a high tide season. These are, these are two, two weeks of high tide. But I knew looking at my calendar and how I, how things are set, like these next couple of weeks, right? It's going to go back to low tide. There's going to be calm and normalcy to my schedule. It's that ebb and flow. So looking today, uh, I wanted to bring in a couple other pieces of information uh, regarding burnout. And so psychology today had a couple of pieces I wanted to share um, if you're trying to figure out like how to turn in your badge of burnout, like how to give that back, <laughs> turn it in, turn it in. Um, it's uh, there's a section in this article, which is linked in the, in the notes, but it says um, how to deal with burnout. Um, while some work environments may be especially grinding, like the medical profession or law enforcement, anyone who's running out of gas can take steps to alleviate the um, effects of burnout and really, re and if necessary, really reevaluate their work life. It says to counter burnout, have a, having a sense of purpose, having an impact on others, or feeling as if uh, one is making the world a better place are all valuable. Often, meaningfulness can counteract the negative aspect of the job. Um, other motivators include autonomy as well as a good hard challenge. And then there's some questions in here. It's like, should I quit my job if I'm burned out, right? I found another job, right? So I quit the job where I was feeling all of the burnout and had to change, right? I had to make that reset. Um, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just simply have to speak up. Um, so in this particular article, it, it mentions speaking up about your concerns or trying to restructure your work environment to address burnout. Uh, that may be less e re less risky for you and equally as effective. And so speak up. If you feel like you are burned out, like raise that white flag, like say, hello, I need assistance. I, I need help. Somebody come help and talk to your manager about it. If you've got an employee assistance program, uh, reach out to some of those resources. There's all kinds of things that you can, can do. If you are in an environment though, where speaking up about your concerns or you don't have those resources, that may be a sign that it's time to start looking. Because if they aren't willing to help you, then that's probably not, that, that may not be the best place to be. Um, that is my opinion. I am not a, I am not a certified counselor. I am not a, a certified life coach, none of that. Um, but that is just, that's, that's my advice. That's based on my experience. Uh, the next thing in here, it says like, how can I draw better boundaries? And 
it says like when you have too many conflicting responsibilities simply saying no to new task is important albeit challenging uh it's a way to reduce your workload but it says scheduling regular breaks starting and stopping at set times minimizing multitasking can help maintain boundaries and reduce the feelings of burnout um, again have that conversation with your manager um to say hey this is what's happening. I'm, I need to say no to this task or can I have, can I work with somebody to hand this off? Um, it says, how can I improve my work-life balance? Um, it says adjusting your work hours or location, perhaps by telecommuting can help significantly as, as can outsourcing or sharing responsibilities when possible. So setting clear boundaries between work and life is not by not checking email during off hours, for instance, maybe practicing self-care and allowing adequate downtime are also useful strategies. So one of the things that when I went to work at Apple, they didn't provide me a phone. And, and for years before, um, I had, I had had two phones. I mean, for years and years and years, um, I carried two phones for work. Um, at some point I, I carried like three or four. Um, but when I went to Apple, they didn't provide me a phone. And so I didn't, was not expected to have my email on my phone. And I didn't, I didn't have my email on my phone um, until I did my area manager rotation in 2020. So for five years, almost five years. Uh, I didn't have my work email on my phone, but when I did that rotation, I did need to have it on my phone as an area manager. Um, and I, and I, and then I didn't take it off, um, for, for, you know, until, until I left. Um, but that was helpful, right? I didn't have to have it. Um, and same thing at Amazon. I don't have my email on my phone. Um, I have my chats on my phone. Cause that's usually how most people get in touch with me as chat. Um, but I also have it set, right? I have my do not disturb like system set up. So like after a certain time, it does not give me the notifications from my chat, from my chat apps. Um, I, you know, I've, I've set those boundaries to, to help me have that, um, that, that harmony between the two, um, so that I don't burn myself out. Um, there is something in here, um, another question that it says, it says, how can I help a loved one who is burned out, uh, burned out, uh, in psychology today says it can be painful to watch a loved one struggle with burnout, especially because it's rarely possible for you to address the root cause yourself. Instead, practicing empathetic listening, encouraging self-care and offering to help with tasks outside of work may be the most effective ways to provide support. This is absolutely true. I could not manage I, I could not manage if it weren't for the support that that I've gotten from my husband uh, when we lived in Alabama and we you know we both worked full-time jobs um, he was working at a plant and I was working from home and um, I, I had a housekeeper um, my 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 dear friend Michelle cleaned for me. My 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 dear friend Ashley cleaned for me. Um, the let me tell you, I could not do it without those ladies. Um, just the sheer peace that it brought me, knowing 
that I did not have to worry about vacuuming or mopping or cleaning the bathrooms. Like those things gave me such a peace of mind that it helped me. It, it, it helped with that. Like it was one less thing that took up my brain so that I didn't get overwhelmed and, 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 and get burnt out because then it would have been like, okay, uh, when I first started at Apple, I, we didn't have somebody, uh, coming over to clean and I would go on a break and I'd be like, okay, 15 minute break when I was, cause I was in a training class. So 15 minute break. Okay. Let me go, um, clean the bathroom. Okay. Our lunch. Let me do a load of laundry, which was or good practices, but it also led to me not being able to like shut down, like take a moment and step back and like sit down <laughs> and rest because I was always go, 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 go. And, and that led you know, that was something that led to that burnout. So, uh, Jay now here in Florida, right. He, he's being a musician, right. He works usually on the weekends. So during the week, like if I need him to, you know, like he'll clean the bathroom, he'll, uh, you know, mop the floors, he'll, uh, you know, run the, run the, uh, run Rosie, our robot vacuum. Um, you know, he takes care of a lot of that stuff for me so that I don't have to, like worry about it. It doesn't take up a spot in my head. Um, <clears throat> now there are other things that can cause burnout, right? Not just work, but just like responsibilities. Um, a, if you're a caregiver, if you're a parent, um, you know, relationship, you know, takes a lot. Those are things that can happen and just know that it is known, right? It's not as well known as career stress, but there are like, there are stresses related to parenting. There are stresses related to being a caregiver that can burn you out in addition to like, especially if you're doing those things and work is, and work is hard. Um, and you, and you've got that like full plate at work that's starting to cause burnout. Like those two things together can really escalate it very quickly. Um, and it's important to realize, right? If, if you <clears throat> haven't like realized that you're burnout, I would highly recommend if, if you've been like feeling a little bit overwhelmed, talk to somebody, uh, talk to a counselor. If you've got an EAP line at work, um, there's a, there's some resources in my, I think it was two episodes ago, maybe, <clears throat> um, where I gave resources for, um, some counseling, like some, some different, like lower cost counseling options. Um, but, but go see somebody, go get, go get help. There is, there is no shame or there should be no shame. People, people do give, <clears throat> people do have some shame around going to counseling, but there shouldn't be, we should break that stigma a hundred percent, um, should break the stigma of getting, um, help. Um, I, I go, I see a counselor every other week. Um, and it like, it's, it's, it's a spot for me to be able to just kind of open up about things and talk through things. And it's just, it's, it's extremely helpful for me. Um, and I think it's something that if you're going through burnout and you're trying to figure out how do I turn in this badge of burnout, talking to a professional can absolutely be helpful. 
Um, the next badge to talk about is the uh, badge of perfectionism. <clears throat> That's the next one we need to turn in. <clears throat> so my apologies for my my cough. Hold, please. Mm -hmm. A little bit of water. Um, episode 33 of the 100 Days of Podcast was all about overcoming perfectionism. This is a badge that I, I turn in and take back repeatedly. <laughs> oh, I am not. I will be very honest. It is very, it is a badge. Like I said, I, I turn it in and I take it back. I turn it in and I take it back. Oh, goodness. Um, so verywellmind.com uh, has a list of 10 signs that you may be a perfectionist. Um, and I thought it would be interesting to kind of read, read through these. So 10 perfectionist traits, um, all or nothing thinking perfectionists like high achievers tend to set high goals and work hard towards them. However, a high achiever can be satisfied with doing a great job and achieving excellence or coming close, even if their very high, high goals aren't completely met while perfectionists will accept nothing less than perfection almost perfect is seen as a failure. So, uh, being highly critical is the second one. Um, they're more judgmental and hard on themselves and others when failure does occur. Um, uh, feeling pushed by fear, high, achie high achievers tend to be pulled toward their goals by a desire to achieve them. Uh, on the other hand, perfectionists tend to be pushed toward their goals by a fear of not reaching them and seeing anything less as a perfectly, anything less than a perfectly met goal as a failure. I, yes, this, this specific one, I have felt those two. And I think that's a good, a good way to look at it because I am a high achiever. And so there are times when you know, I am pulled toward a goal, right? Um, because I want to, to do it well. Um, like the, the video that I did recently at work for all hands meeting, right? That goal, I was pulled toward that goal. I was energized by that goal. Um, and in moving that goal in the right direction and accomplishing it. Whereas if my perfectionist tendencies had been, um, had, had been the ones, right. It would, they would have been pushing me toward the goal in fear of not like having this be like the perfect video. It wasn't perfect, but it was, I mean, it was, it was definitely one of the best videos I myself have ever put together. Um, again, not perfect, but that's okay. Um, it accomplished the goal that it needed to accomplish. And I was energized by it. Had perfectionism been guiding that process, I, it would have not been, it, it would have, I would have thought it was a failure despite all of the praise that, that I got from that. So, uh, the next one, uh, it says is having unrealistic standards. Um, I, <laughs> yeah. Uh, having high standards is one thing. Uh, make sure you check where those high standards, you know, how high are they? Are they too high? Um, focusing on, focusing only on results. 
So as a perfectionist, right, they see the goal and nothing else. They're so concerned about meeting the goal and avoiding the dreaded failure. They can't enjoy the process of growing and striving. Again, to go back to that video, um, you know, the, I enjoyed the process of going through and making the video because I got to learn things. I got to use, I got to, you know, grow some of the skills that I, that I have, um, and really push myself to kind of think outside the box on how to achieve certain things. Um, and so if I had only been focused on the result of just getting it out there, I wouldn't have enjoyed the process and would have gotten very frustrated at the process um, of going through and making that video. Um, feeling depressed by unmet goals. Um, perfectionists are much less happier, are much less happy and easygoing than high achievers. Um, Perfectionists tend to beat themselves up much more and wallow in negative feelings when their high expectations go unmet. Ugh, yeah, uh, I've been there, been there uh, quite a bit. Uh, I actually went through today and I uh, have on, a, on my whiteboard over to the side, I have like goals written down for each quarter. And so I actually like went to that board today and like crossed off what I had completed and like, and then I was like, these things I didn't complete. Guess what? I'm going to move them forward. I'm not going to get depressed. I'm not going to get myself worked up by these unmet goals. And guess what? If I don't achieve something on there that's on there for this year, because uh, there's a couple of things on there that are like, because I, I paid for a Six Sigma uh, like certification course. That's a just self-paced, like take it when you can. Um, and... I, I have not finished it yet. So I would, that like, that's a goal, but I'm not going to beat myself up about it. I'm not going to get depressed about if I don't, if I don't finish it in Q3, it's okay. I can continue to work on it. Uh, the next one is fear of failure. Um, perfectionists are much more afraid to fail than high achievers. Um, they put so much stock in results and become so disappointed by anything less than perfection. Yeah, I've, I've been there. Uh, procrastination. <laughs> it says it seems paradoxical that perfectionists would be prone to procrastination as that trait can be detrimental to productivity. But perfectionism and procrastination tend to go hand in hand. Yes, they do. So, so true. So true. Uh, this is because feeling or fearing failure as they do, perfectionists will sometimes worry so much about doing something imperfectly that they become immobilized to fail to do anything and, and fail to do anything at all. Absolutely. It's such a cycle. Oh, it's such a cycle of like, of like, well, I want it to be perfect. So I'm going to make it, you know, I got to make it perfect, but I'm not going to, but I'm not in the right mindset to do it yet. I got to wait. You know, like that's something that I have gone through that cycle so, 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 so much. Uh, the next one is defensiveness. Um, because less than perfect performance is so painful and scary to perfectionists, they tend to take constructive criticism defensively. Um, I had to actually, I will be very honest, I had to actually stop myself the other day. Uh, somebody that I did not know messaged me. 
and like said something about my podcast and it was like it was about visuals and they were like, do you want me to help you with your visuals? Like there was no introduction of like, who are you? It was just simply like a, like a, Hey, do you want help with your visuals? Like, and it felt very, I was like, what are you? Well, I mean, I've got visuals. I, I know how to do visuals. I know how to put them in. Like, like I didn't understand. And in my head, I was becoming very defensive to this, to this person um, and some of that, right. It came through via, via a, a text format, right. It wasn't in person. It wasn't anything like that. So, so sometimes just word feedback can also be taken out of context. Uh, and so I just simply like, I was like, Heather, stop, take a moment. They're probably not, they're not meaning anything by it. And so I just offered up, I was like, Hey, if you want to talk about this, I'm happy to talk about it. And, and so like, we're going to talk about it because that's, that's going to help me, right? It, it helped me take down that defensive wall that I had, like, that was starting to build. Uh, and then last, it says low self-esteem. Um, it says high achievers tend to have equally high, high esteem, but not so with perfectionists. Perfectionists tend to be very self-critical and unhappy and suffer from low self-esteem. Oh, oh yes. Yes. Um, I definitely deal with this one. Um, low self-esteem is something um, that I have dealt with for a very long time. I still deal with today in, in a lot of areas, um, not so much in how it pertains to like it coming from perfectionism. Um, but... But, but yeah, it's something that I've dealt with and deal with, um, currently, um, as well. So I I can see how perfectionism can go, can go with that. So, all right. So there are the 10 traits or 10 signs you may be a perfectionist. Um, there is also an article from box.com, um, about called perfectionism is killing us. I think that's the name of it. Let me scroll. Yeah. Perfectionism is killing us. Uh, and they talk about three, they say we have three flavors of perfectionism, <laughs> which I thought was cute because flavors always makes me think of ice cream and I love ice cream. Um, okay. So perfectionism comes in three common flavors, self-oriented where someone demands perfection from themselves, other oriented where they demand perfection from others around them, like spouses, coworkers, and friends and socially prescribed perfectionism. This is where the person feels external pressure from the larger world and society to be perfect. I like that thought that there are three types because I think some of us maybe suffer from all of them and some people don't. Um, I definitely have um, suffered from self-oriented perfectionism. I don't think... I don't think I, okay, previously, let me, let me, let me, let me be very honest. Previously, I was probably other oriented where I demanded perfection from others around me. So other, so, so then, so again, so at work, at work, I feel like I have those high standards uh, for my coworkers and for my employees, but I don't demand perfection uh, because nothing's ever perfect 
there's always something that we can look at it again in hindsight and say, oh, we should have changed that. Oh, we should have done that. So we can have high standards and then be able to look at it, like put it out there and then look back at it and go, okay, hey, next time we can improve it this way. Um, And so I I definitely, I would say in the past, I I held that line of perfection um, for people when I shouldn't have. And then socially prescribed perfectionism, I have felt that for sure. Um, You know, some of that comes from, um, I've talked about it on a podcast before, but when I was little um, and going, like when I was in school, it was always like you had, I had to have A's. Um, I had to be perfect. I had to have A's. If I didn't get an A, if I brought home anything less than an A, I would get, um, you, you know, spanking. Um, I would be grounded. Uh, if you know how old I was, um, you, you know, that was the, like the perfectionism that came from, you know, my, my world at the time. Right. And that was, you know, that, that was hard, um, that, that socially prescribed perfectionism, um, from, from my, my social circle at that point in time growing up. Um, and so I know, gosh, y'all, I'm sorry. I'm umming all up in it tonight. <laughs> all right. Let's see. Uh, da, da, da. so I'll just hum it now. I'll just hum my ums. Uh, as I scroll back through to see if there was anything else in this article uh, that I wanted to talk about. Um, Oh, this is okay. Yeah, this is the good part. So in this article as well, it says perfectionism doesn't automatically resolve itself Um, as someone gets, and this is like, as someone gets older, right? It may in fact get worse as people age. And this is from Martin Smith, who's a researcher at York St. John university in the UK his team published a meta-analysis of the relationship between perfectionism and other personality factors and found that people who score high in perfectionism age, um, they, oh, sorry, I missed a word in there. I was like, that doesn't make sense. Hold on. They found that as people who score high in perfectionism age, they seem to become more prone to experiencing negative emotions like anger, anxiety, irritability, and they even become less conscientious. It's as, um, Smith said that what may be happening is that over time, as perfectionists repeatedly fall short of their impossible standards, they start to adapt a bleak view of their past. They tend to see most of their experiences as failures since they rarely achieve the perfection they're striving for. That is, that's a really good call out. I think it's important to, to, to think about, you know, if you are dealing with perfectionism, if this is something that you struggle with, you've really got to figure out a way, how do I, right? How, how do we manage that perfectionism? Um, and and I've got a, I've got an article I'm going to read from here in just a second, um, that that's got some ideas on how to help manage perfectionism. Um, but it's, it's really, I'm going to read this paragraph here because I think it, it talks about, it it talks about the seriousness of when, if, when we start to think about perfectionism and, and it, 
uh, leading to those those like that bleak view. Um, so several decades of research on perfectionism has shown that perfectionism is associated with suicidal thinking and behaviors. Suicidal thoughts and impulses are more common among perfectionists than most people appreciate. Uh, this is from from somebody named Sherry. They must have been quoted earlier in the article. So my apologies. I don't know who Sherry, <laughs> who Sherry is. Uh, but it says red flags can include taking extra measures to hide distress and actively presenting a picture of perfection that doesn't reflect reality. These are facades. Uh, Sherry explained that can often be seen through, uh, but can be seen through by the people closest to the person. Um, and I think that's that's a really good call out, right? If with perfectionism and, and the how it can have a toll on your mental health, um, and that's why it's a badge we really need to try to turn in um, because it can definitely take that toll. And again, like I said it in the burnout section, um, if you deal, like if you struggle with perfectionism and you um, and like I said, I'm going to read some ways to manage it in a minute, but when that happens, right? Like make sure that you are like taking care of yourself. Like if you don't feel like you can get over perfectionism, if you're struggling to do that, um, seek some professional help because that's, that's what they're there for. And when I say professional help, I mean a licensed professional counselor. I do not mean, um, self-help. Um, I, as much as I, you know, have read and love, um, reading like personal development, self-help stuff that is not a replacement for a licensed trained therapist. So please know that um, reading books and, and things can set you on a right direction, can help you get questions that you can ask a licensed counselor. Um, so, you know, you can do that, right? You can take that information and take that to the counselor and say, hey, this is something I read. Is this something possible? Is this, could this help? Like those are things you can do, but please always seek professional help. Okay. Um, in the, uh, so in Harvard business review, they put out an article in 2019 called how to manage your perfectionism. Uh, and this is by Rebecca Knight. Um, and so it said, I like that it opens up with perfectionism is a double-edged sword. Yes, <laughs> it is. Uh, it says it can motivate you to perform at a high level and deliver top quality work. But it can also cause you unnecessary anxiety and slow you down. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. Um, all right. So it goes through and it says, here are some ideas on how to let go of your, uh, of your, I don't even know what that word, how to let go of perfectionism. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, first, we're going to see the big picture. Um, right. So how to manage this, right. So help to so see the big picture. Um, any perfectionist will tell you it says being perfect isn't easy. Uh, so, uh, for, as a perfectionist, you're never going to aim for merely adequate, nor should you, but you must also realize 
or recognize the opportunity cost and time of your behavior. So ask yourself, am I using my time wisely? Am I being productive? Uh, He recommends focusing on maximizing the impact of your work. You could spend the extra three hours making the presentation perfect, but does it improve the impact for your client or your organization? Um, and, uh, and so somebody else concurs to shift your mindset. Uh, you're going to be less perfect about some things so you can concentrate on what's important. Uh, if you continue to tinker with an assignment that most others would consider complete, try to recognize that, it, that just getting it done is a decent goal. Um, there's a point of diminishing returns when it comes to sweating the small stuff and nitpicking uh, details. I absolutely agree. Um, I've been in <laughs> in groups where we're making a presentation and we get so in the weeds. Uh, right. We're just, we're drafting this presentation, right? It's, it's not the final one. Like we're just simply drafting the presentation before we, we send it up to be reviewed, uh, like our first level of review. And we get so in the weeds about like what colors and the, the placement of like a picture on the slide. Do we need a picture? Do we not need a picture? What's our overall design? Like all of this when really what we need to do first and foremost is what's the big picture let's get what we need to get on the slide and then let's look at the details Uh, the second thing they say um, on how to manage your perfectionism is to adjust your standards Um, managing your perfectionism requires you to calibrate your standards Um, it says for example you're grinding out an important memo for your organization He suggests showing your efforts to a colleague or supervisor early in the process. You may discover it's already good enough and that the task you thought could take 10 hours really only took five. And don't be ashamed or embarrassed. It's your first draft. (laughs) Uh, And even if you continue to work on it, the feedback you receive will help you improve. Keep in mind too, the memo probably doesn't need to be worthy of a Pulitzer Prize. but what you're saying doesn't have to be the final word. It just has to contribute something useful. So again, adjusting your standard, right? Figuring out, like seeing the big picture. Uh, if it's your first draft, let it be your first draft. It does not have to be perfect. I was in an organization at one point where we were, were putting together a presentation and even amongst like the team before we sent it off for the first draft, we were like, oh my gosh, it has to be so perfect. Um, We don't want them to come back with any edits because getting an edit back meant we had done something wrong. And that was the culture, y'all. That was the culture. I was like, I can't even give you my first draft um, with, and, and be like, I want my first draft to be given to you and you simply be like, okay, hey, move this box here and maybe change this here. Like, like I, you know, the whole perception was that your first draft should be your final, basically. Um, that's a lot of pressure. That is a lot of unnecessary pressure. I mean, we weren't presenting to the CEO of the company either. I could see how maybe presenting to the CEO of the company, you want things to be a little nicer. Got it. But yeah, it was that culture was a lot. Um, 
Okay, the next way to manage your perfectionism, create a checklist. I love a good list. Oh, I love a good list. <laughs> uh, it says the pursuit of perfectionism. Oh, Heather, read these words. The pursuit of perfection is a bit like wandering on an aimless journey, uh, says Plummer. You keep walking and walking, but you're not sure you're going, you're getting any closer to your destination. Um, similarly, a perfectionist is always going to want to keep working on a given, a given assignment, but the end result is rarely satisfying. Um, oh, yes. Create a checklist for each task. Uh, for instance, say you're working on an important client pitch, the perfectionist in you might fret over the font choice and sweat every semicolon, but with a checklist that reminds you to confirm you spelled things correctly and to eliminate basic editing errors, you'll, you'll need it endlessly slog. You're following a process with, dis with discrete and measurable goals. Uh, and once you've ticked off the items on your list, then you're done. Ooh. I like that one. Um, that is something that I do personally for um, things at work and things, um, you know, in my in my personal life. So, like for this podcast, I have like I have a checklist of, of things to do, um, and that way I don't get like bogged down. And like with, um, I made sure that I went and made like templates for myself. So like with cover art. Um, and, and things to put on the, you know, Instagram, um, I could a hundred percent be a perfectionist about this stuff and, and try to like make everything perfect. And if I had to do that for every single episode, it would be unreal and, and a no-go. So I've made, I spent time, I made templates. I'm happy with those templates. And those are the templates that I will use. Now I may adjust them at some point in the future, but for now, like those templates is what I use. That's it. Like Heather, go in, check the box. Done. Okay. I really like this last, uh, this isn't the last one, but it's, I like this one a lot. Cause this, this is something that happens, uh, to me a lot in respect and just and not even just around the perfectionism, um, and perfectionist tendencies that I have. Uh, but this is break the cycle of rumination. Many perfectionists have a uh, proclivity to ruminate, which is repeatedly mulling over a thought or problem without ever coming to a resolution. It's related to anxiety, says Bowles. People who ruminate tend to be less forgiving of themselves. It's unhealthy and it's unproductive. Uh, don't confuse ruminating with problem solving. Instead, look for ways to disrupt the cycle. I need this information. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> but identify your triggers. Uh, so the first step in conquering this habit is to learn to recognize when you're ruminating. Um, figure out what sets you off. Make a note of that situation. Where are you? The time of day? Who's around? Find those consistent patterns and then think about ways that you might steer clear of or control those factors. Um, don't trust your first reaction. If you're dwelling on a past event, such as an interaction with a colleague, be cautious. You might not have an accurate read of the situation. When you ruminate, you tend to focus on all the bad things. <laughs> so you can't trust what your ruminating mind is telling you. 
try hard to get perspective and give yourself time and distance before taking action, you might be blowing it out of proportion. This is, oh, been there. Oh, I've been there. Seek a diversion. Distractions are useful, says Boyles. Uh, do something that is cognitively absorbing, but that is also tedious and doesn't induce anxiety, such as filling out an expense report. Often spending just 10 minutes on a mundane but practical task like, like that breaks the chain and keeps you from spinning your wheels. I like that. I like that suggestion. Like, distract yourself with something like mundane. Um, okay, think positive. Ruminating often leads to avoidance of certain tasks. That's a feeling. Uh, there's a feeling of if I can't do it perfectly, I won't bother. To combat this idea, uh, Boyles recommends reflecting on times in your past where you tried something new. Think about the successes you've had. By reminding yourself of the pathways that led to your accomplishments, you'll be able to see that you've achieved a meaningful outcome despite not being 100% certain of success. This helps you learn from your experiences. As a perfectionist, or as a trying to overcome perfectionism, <laughs> turning that badge in, Try not to take it back again. Uh, that That is helpful information. Um, all right, so get perspective. You may find it helpful to talk with someone about your tendencies. Um, make it clear that you want to hear how you come across. Um, be honest and open and tell the person you're working on getting better. Um, you can say, like, I may sound defensive, but I promise to think about what you say and be good. Be sure that you make good on that pledge. And then monitor your progress. As you're working on moderating your perfectionist tendencies, uh, Boyles recommends undertaking a weekly review in which you reflect on your progress and try to get some psychological distance and ask yourself, was there anything I avoided this week due to fear of making mistakes? Were there instances where my perfectionism was not worth it? Were there any times this week when I took action, when I, even when I felt uncertain and ended up moving things forward? Your objective here, says Plummer, is to learn where perfectionism has a positive impact and where it does not. Remember, you're not fundamentally changing course. Rather, you're redirecting your personality. So... All right, that was a lot of information. I've got a little bit more on this one to to talk through too. And then we've got an, one more badge to talk through. So y'all just thank you for hanging out with me. I greatly, greatly appreciate you. Um, if, if you're here and you have like dealt with any of these, if you've dealt with dealt or dealing with burnout or perfectionism or uh, work, you know, if you've been a workaholic or are a workaholic, like, please, uh, please like get down in the comments, like, let me know your thoughts. Um, there'll be a post on Instagram. If you're, if you're not watching, uh, on YouTube. So there's a post on Instagram, go like comment on it. Let me know, like, have you dealt with these things? What are your thoughts? Um, and while we're here, if you're enjoying this video, um, or this podcast, if you wouldn't mind, like, uh, if you're watching the video, you can hit the like button, please, uh, and subscribe. 
Um, and if you are on um, on a podcast platform, if you want, would like to follow me, subscribe there. If you'd like to leave me a review, I'd love all of those things. I greatly appreciate it. Um, I know that was a helpful article for me. Again, this is, like I've said in, in this podcast, this badge is one that I have turned in and taken back and turned in and taken back. Um, but I'm finding ways to manage it uh, and, to, and to come out on the other side of it instead of just being like, you know, upset and, and things like, how do I, how can I separate when I'm not? like being a high achiever uh, versus being a perfectionist. So if you listened to the imposter syndrome episode last week, where I interviewed Tim Thorne, we talked about how perfectionism is part of the imposter syndrome cycle. Um, Because if you're dealing with imposter syndrome where you're like, oh, they're going to find me out. I'm not worthy to be here. I must be perfect. Uh, because if I'm not perfect, then they're going to find me out. Like it's part of that imposter syndrome cycle as well. So uh, you can go check out that episode. Uh, that would be episode three um, of season three. Link will be down in the description. Uh, so the final badge I want to talk about is the workaholic badge. And the workaholic badge is, man. Let me tell you, I, I definitely, definitely have, have said that I am a recovering workaholic. Um, man, because, oh, I worked so, 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 so much, um, when I was coming up in, in like leadership, um, at Verizon then when I worked for, um, cellular center, um, I was, man, like I said, carried two cell phones, like always, always reachable all the time, like work, work, work. Um, didn't really know how to take a vacation. Um, it's part of the reason that we used to cruise that we used to cruise. We still cruise. Okay. Part of the reason that we would cruise uh was simply because like my husband was like uh your phones don't work out here and so you're gonna put them in the in the safe uh so that you so that you're not on them because i was constantly on them um checking emails and it was just hard for me to to step away so i did look up an article uh this is from apa the american psychological association uh, this is from their website. Um, and it's a science brief from 2016. It says workaholism is not just long hours on the job. This is some new research. Um, and it says, what exactly is a workaholic? So the term workaholism was coined in 1971 by minister and psychologist Wayne Oates who described workaholism as the compulsion or uncontrollable need to work incessantly. Since then, research has been plagued by disagreements surrounding how to define and measure the construct. Uh, For example, it's been defined as an addiction to work, a pathology, a behavior that persists across multiple organizational settings, and a syndrome comprised of high drive, high work involvement, and low work enjoyment. 
In an effort to reconcile these varied perspectives, um, they have identified key commonalities across the definitions and used them to form a comprehensive definition uh, that includes the following. So this is where we're going to where we're going to take like workaholic. Like, what does that mean? Um, so a workaholic uh, or workaholism is feeling compelled to work because of internal pressures having persistent thoughts about work when not working, working beyond what is reasonably expected of the worker um, as established by the requirements of the job or basic economic needs, despite the potential for negative consequences like marital issues. Um, it's important to point out that workaholism should not be confused with simply spending an inordinate amount of time working Instead, their recent meta-analysis found that workaholism and hours work per week were only moderately correlated. Oh, hi, Milo. Oh, it's been a minute since he's been on the podcast. Yes. Hi, buddy. Hello. And I hear you, bud. You, are you, you want to talk about workaholism? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, when I think about it like this, right, um, feeling, you know, when I, and I think about my past, right. When I said that I, you know, used to call myself a workaholic, um, that feeling compelled to work because of internal pressures, um, and, and that like working beyond what is reasonably expected, um, despite negative consequences, I, I know a hundred percent that, um, a lot of the times when I would work so much, it hadn't, you know, it had a negative consequence to, you know, to my relationships. Um, and, and it was hard, you know, I mean, it was something that I definitely, uh, looking back, you know, hindsight's always, you know, 2020, right. It's clear. Uh, <laughs> it's crystal clear when you look behind, uh, you look in the past, like, man, like, wow, why were you, why were you still with me? Like I was always like, so like angry and upset, um, and worn out. Like, gosh, I, you know, when I used to travel so much, um, when I was at cellular center and was traveling to all these stores and doing all these training classes and, and trying to just keep up with all of these things. Um, it, it was, man, um, yeah, like I, I didn't stop. Like I was always thinking about work, always thinking about what to like, what was next, like what I had to do. Like, it was craziness. Um. Okay, it says um, one area that continues to spark debate on whether workaholism is a positive or negative phenomenon, um, and and some people argue that workaholism is associated with high level with a high level of pleasant stress um, and other positive outcomes such as job and work satisfaction, job and work, job and life satisfaction and high performance, and that workaholics may serve as role models for other employees. Let me take a moment to pause with that comment. Um no. <laughs> Uh, no, um, no, workaholics should not be role models. Um, I, I, when I listened back again, when I listened back to the burnout episode, I talked about this, 
about how as a leader like you have to set the you have to set the expectation like you set the example of taking like time away um and and taking time off of work and and enjoying like your vacation time and so if you as a leader are a workaholic and you're working to the point that it's having negative consequences on your relationship and that's the example you're setting no that is not the right example to set um you can set the example to work hard uh and to put in put your best effort in but setting the example to where it's causing issues in your your relationships outside of work that no i don't agree no mm -mm. i'm gonna say negative negative to that one um okay i'm gonna keep scrolling down let's see um scrolling down the article there's a section that says workaholism is not synonymous with work engagement uh it says work these two things are often confused and the confusion is no more evident than when somebody exclaims um, after i tell them my research interest oh yes i am probably a workaholic with a sheepish grin the grin is typically followed quickly by the statement but i work so much because i love my work if that person's statement is indeed true, the individual is more likely an engaged worker and not a workaholic. Work engagement can be defined as a positive, fulfilling, work-related state of mind that is characterized by vigor, dedication, and, abs and absorption. Undoubtedly, the behaviors of workaholics and engaged workers appear similar because in both cases, these individuals often work harder and longer than other individuals. However, research suggests there are several key differences between the two. One of them is what motivates the underlying behaviors. So engaged workers are driven by work because they find it intrinsically pleasurable, while workaholics are driven to work because they feel an in inner compulsion to work, feelings that they should be working. Um, oh my gosh, that just gave me flashbacks. Oh, that feeling that you should be working. Let me tell you, we're going to talk about toxic positivity and hustle culture uh, on this podcast here. Uh, I think that is July's, I think that's a July episode. Um, but one of the things when it comes to um, hustle culture um, that this just like hit like just bing, 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 like hit the alert button for me um, is a workaholic is driven to work by their inner compulsion to work that feeling that they should be working and so many of the so much of the hustle culture and toxic positivity so much of that industry is just simply like oh you have you know, you shouldn't be binge watching that show. You should be working your business. You should be writing that book. You should be, you should be working. It's that perpetual feeling of like, you should be doing something else other than maybe taking a break. Um, other than like, you should be hustling. Uh, you know, you should be out there working your business. Um, and there's a fine line 
there there's a fine there is a fine line that you have to walk when when you go through stuff like this um being a workaholic is something um like in this next paragraph it's talking about they experience very different emotions um workaholism is related to the experience of negative emotions like guilt anger anxiety disappointment at work at home um and so and in workaholics report feeling less uh, jovial and less self-assurance at work and, and i find that I, I find that very i find that very funny because the the hustle hustle culture right if you're not if you're not working enough if you're not hustling enough the people that were preaching that message were giving you guilt were were you know like saying you should feel guilty for not working you should you should feel disappointment in yourself you should you know causing that anxiety causing yourself to get mad um oh my gosh like y'all these things are just clicking in like for me right now and oh it's just it's a lot it's a lot um yeah because because that is the culture that and, and it's not so much i will say that the pandemic has definitely kind of shifted the the hustle culture a little bit um, where it's not so much about hustle anymore. Now, a lot of them are, are out there uh, preaching um, mindfulness, meditation, um, it, it, with a side of hustle. It's weird. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It's weird. Um, and, and this is where I just, you know... Uh, part of part of the things that i that i'm covering on this podcast are things that like genuinely like my mind is like wait a minute like let's talk like let's figure this out let's talk about it um because my mind can't like i just try to wrap my mind around it i'm like why oh gosh okay all right sorry i got off on a weird bunny rabbit trail i was chasing a carrot um (laughs) So, uh, workaholics, right? So part of the thing with, with that, you know, like, how do you overcome like workahol, you know, how, how do you come, how do you overcome workaholism? It's, it's hard. Um, <laughs> it's hard. It's not easy. Um, and, and on here too, it says like they have, um, like they they keep saying like longi- longitudinal studies need to be set up to to look at uh, workaholism, um, and you know because they found a lot of stuff like that it in definitely increases um, you know ill health, it decreases life satisfaction, um, you know that's. Oh man, you know, in- increases, you know, and in getting sick and stuff like that's not good. Like, definitely need to find ways to um, help people overcome workaholism. Um, I'll be honest, I 
thought that this article gave some of those, but it does not. Let me see if this one does. I found another one, so hold on. Um, this article, dangers of being a workout treatment. Let's see. Okay, so this article is from Forbes. Uh, this is seven signs you may be a workaholic. This is from this is from 2014, so I mean it's a little older, but. Uh, let's see what they have to offer us as far as treatments for workaholics. Uh, it says being a workaholic shouldn't be a status symbol. Agreed. Uh, <laughs> so the 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 DS the DSM right the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual right this is the di this is what like your uh, you know psychiatrists psychologists that they use to diagnose you with things the DSM. Uh, this does not recognize. Um, workaholism as an addiction the same way it does like alcohol, drug, or gambling addictions, um, which means like insurance reimbursement is probably not available like for some of those things. Uh, but help is still available and treatment can range from attending um, like groups like Workaholics Anonymous um, to checking into a residential treatment center. Uh, therapy usually involves learning how to disengage from work, finding strategies to re-engage with family, and identifying methods to become more efficient. Um, it says perhaps the best course of action is to develop self-awareness of any tendencies you may have to become a workaholic, monitor the time you're putting into work, and notice when your work life is creating problems in your personal life. Practice uh, practicing disengagement, taking regular vacations, um, and setting healthy boundaries can help you develop that work-life balance that will prevent you from becoming a workaholic. Um, I, um, I I agree. I like the the treatments that they that they have listed here. Um, there is workaholics workaholics anonymous. Um, so if you feel like that is kind of where you are, um, I'll, uh, find the link to where you can find more information about them. Uh, and I'll put it in the show notes, um, in case you're interested in, in going in there, but this last piece, right. Um, practicing disconnection, taking regular vacations. Let's talk about taking regular vacations. Oh, wait, here's another one. Oh, here's another look. I pulled up more articles than I thought. Hey, hey. go me for being, oh no, go back <laughs> for pulling up more things than I thought I did. Okay. Let's look at this one. So this is from ink.com. Um, this is how to cure your workaholic addiction. Um, this one, when was this one written? Um, it does not give me the date. Where does it give me the date? Oh. Oh, this is also from November. This is also from 2014. How funny. Did we think we solved the problem? We didn't. Um, okay. But let's see what they have to say. Because again, these are all... If you are if you are struggling with, you know, workaholism, or you just even think like, wow, I seem to be working a lot. And, and you're writing that line between is it engagement or is it workaholism? Uh, and it could really start to teeter either direction. These are things you can start to implement now um, as you, you know, as you go. So I think these are all helpful. So again, this is from ink.com. Um, 
it says, here's some pointers, right? So learn to shut it down. Make a pact with yourself that you won't work past a certain time and honor that daily shutdown time. Learn to walk away. This is something I will definitely say um, since I, I moved to Amazon, I have really strived to, to, to work this within this set, like for this nine to six uh, time frame. I've really tried to stay in that sweet spot. Some days I'll start a little earlier it's, or some days I'll, you know, maybe stay a little later, uh, depending on like meetings and whatnot, but setting that, that boundary of time, like this is when I work, not every job can do that. I understand that. So work within the constraints that you have. Uh, number one or number two, give yourself a break. So take breaks during the workday. Um, I definitely try not to eat at my desk. I definitely want like try to get up and, and even just like walk around the house, eat at the table, uh, eat, eat with, eat with Jay, right? Like have those, have those moments, you know, together where I'm not just always staring at this computer. Uh, number three, change your mindset. Um, it says, uh, you may be amongst many people who believe that long hours demonstrate your great work ethic and that those who take breaks or spend evenings, weekends, and vacations uh, disconnected are lazy or less committed. But the way that way of thinking is both inaccurate and unhealthy. Yes, it is. So push back when you catch yourself giving into it and remember what you think, uh, what you think is what you are. So I, I do like that, right? So change your mindset. Like if you take a break, if you binge watch a TV show on a Friday night or what, you're not lazy. You're not less committed. No. Uh, if you look forward to getting off work to go watch a TV show, that's fine. Perfectly fine. Y'all, I don't even know how long I've been talking at this moment. Oh my gosh. I'm so, I don't even know. <laughs> I just realized that I was like, I don't know how long I've been talking. This may be a very long episode. I may have to break it into two pieces. Okay. Number four, take it seriously. Take it seriously. Treat it seriously. Um, when you're consumed with work and act as if life were dependent on your job, you're likely damaging your health and relationships. So take the change seriously and consider getting help to better, to learn better skills for balancing your life. Um, or finding that harmony in your life, as I would say. Um, five, don't bring it home. It's the hardest test of all, uh, which it's hard. It's hard not to take your work home when you work at home. That's a hard thing to do. Again, this was written in 2014. Remote work wasn't as prevalent. Um, uh, six, meditate on it. Uh, more than most workaholics need to learn to turn off their thinking mind. The practice of meditation is a great way to make this happen. Uh, take some time every day and consciously slow down, breathe, relax, rest your mind, and feed your heart. Uh, seven, this is the last one, set healthy boundaries. We've talked about boundaries up and down this podcast today, all over. Um, many people who are prone to chronic overwork have trouble setting and maintaining boundaries. Uh, as a starting point, make a work schedule and commit to it. If you need to include some late evenings or weekend hours, that's fine, but do it intentionally based on schedules and patterns, not just because you're already there and you haven't dropped from, exha from exhaustion. Uh, being a workaholic doesn't benefit anyone, not you, not your team, not your organization, and not the world. So there we go. 
Um, I, I definitely um, have made great strides in the last several years um, to to let go of of the workaholicness uh, that I have that I've had. So uh, those tendencies that that I tended to to have about wanting to to work all the time and to always be connected and, and stuff. So it's hard. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, and so I would encourage you again, any of these badges that I talked about today, um, any, either, either the burnout badge, the perfectionism badge, the workaholism badge, all of those badges can be turned in. Um, you can, you can turn all of those in for sure. <laughs> and uh and I want to um I just want to close this out again I know this episode it's been so long oh my gosh y'all I'm so sorry um thank you for sticking with me I appreciate you <laughs> I promise I I will get better at this oh I will get better I will get better about trying to stay shorter um Definitely not the 100 days of podcasts or my goal is 15 minutes. These are definitely longer episodes because I want to dig in a little deeper. I want to give you more information. I want to talk about more things. Yeah, I appreciate all that you do. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And uh, as always, I want you to remember that you are loved and you are worthy. And there are great things ahead for you in this life. You can trust and believe in the Lord. We'll see you next week. <laughs>